Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Matthew 6, 9-13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You ever hiked up to a large waterfall? You ever had that opportunity? And I don't necessarily mean like, we've got some good-sized waterfalls here in northern Colorado. I mean the kind of waterfall that the water is pouring over the face of a vertical cliff with such power because it's got so far to fall. Have you ever hiked to a tall waterfall like that before? Uh, there's some good friends, and they, they took my wife and I with, us on a, 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 with them on a trip one time years ago, and they wanted to show us some of their favorite places. And part of that trip, we got to hike to this really huge waterfall. And it was a decent hike, you know, four or five miles round trip, so you couldn't see the waterfall from the parking lot, but we, we hiked along the stream. And so the water from the waterfall, we, we were in it and through it a, a few times as the trail meandered and wound. And, um, you know, as we got closer, though, we could hear the waterfall before we could see it. And there was a point where the trail, a section where it went through this dense forest. And as we got closer and closer to the waterfall, the roar, and we, we, we couldn't picture how big this waterfall was. The roar kept growing louder and louder. And there was a point where, where the trail took a turn and all of a sudden we were out of this dense forest and looking at the cliff. And that little stream we've been hiking by was dropping hundreds of feet down the face of this cliff. And you could just, just we were a couple hundred yards away still, but you could feel the air moving from the force of the water falling. It was like a, a breeze that was kicked up just by the power of the water. And you took a few more steps and you had to take your sunglasses off because the mist from the waterfall started covering, you couldn't see a few more steps, and you had not just a mist, but like, like water drops. Before you knew it, you're soaked, and the waterfall's still 100 feet away. <laughs> and we got closer and closer, and we're in our mid-20s, so we're not like super wisdomful yet. <laughs> and so I look back now, I'm like, man, there could have been all kinds of things pouring over that waterfall, rocks and stuff, but to stand under that waterfall, I've never had a shower like that to feel the power of that water cascade and drop hundreds of feet down, massaging your shoulders and just like, I mean, it was, it's hard to describe just what an experience that was. I had a professor in seminary who used this picture to help us understand what the spiritual disciplines are, are like. The spiritual disciplines are kind of like hiking towards a waterfall. You know, us hiking didn't change the, the location of where the water was falling. Didn't change the amount of water that was pouring over the cliff. But you could, you could get wet walking in the stream. 
where you could position yourself in the place where the water was pouring over and feel the power of that water. Spiritual disciplines are kind of like hiking toward a waterfall because they're the means by which we position ourselves in the places that Scripture teaches that God pours out his grace and power for the purpose of growing our faith. Scripture teaches that when we do these things, and we saw Jesus do these things, he exercised prayer. He was God himself, the word made flesh, and he set aside time in his life to pray to his father. He exercised prayer. He exercised fasting. He exercised all these different, these, these spiritual disciplines to position his life in the place where God says, this is, this is where I'm pouring out my love and my grace, and I want you to know me deeply. The spiritual disciplines are, are like hiking towards a waterfall. And this series has been focused on the spiritual discipline of prayer. Looking at how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, when you pray, pray in this way. Here's where the trail leads to take a few steps closer to the waterfall. You should pray like this. He taught them how to move in prayer to the place where they could experience God their Father in an intimate way and know him more deeply know his love and his grace more thoroughly. And we're finishing this series as Zach shared, looking at what Jesus taught about fasting because prayer and fasting in the Bible often go together like, like two sides of a coin. And Jesus had barely, I mean, it was practically the same breath that he finished his teaching on prayer that came to be the foundation for the traditional Lord's Prayer that you may have, have heard or, or shared in church growing up. Uh, it, practically the same breath, he goes on to teach about fasting, this different yet religious Related spiritual discipline. Biblical fasting is, is not about changing where the waterfall pours. It's not about changing how much water is pouring over the cliff. Biblical fasting is not about changing God's answers to prayer that we offer. It's about changing our position from which we offer those prayers. It's about coming to the place, moving to the place where we can experience what God is pouring out in his grace and love in order for the purpose of growing our faith. That's what biblical fasting is about. And we've been studying prayer. And if you've missed any of these, I've, I've met a few visitors today. It's a joy to have you with us. I encourage you to go back. You can go online and listen to some of these, these previous sermons. Go back and, and hear what Jesus taught about praying about the joy and miracle about getting to approach God as our Father because he made a way for us to belong to him as his children, about praising him that his name would be hallowed and submitting to and seeking the kingdom's work here on this earth, here and now, about seeing God our Father as the source of our daily sustenance, the only one who can meet all of our needs about how in praying and going to him that, that, that he is, is molding us and shaping us with the reality that forgiven people are forgiving people and, and that we can trust in his faithfulness to deliver us from evil even when we face trials and temptations. That's what we've been learning. And last week, we looked at this question of fasting. If you were here last week, we didn't get very far in the, in the text that we were looking at, the next section, verses 16 to 18. Um, we didn't get very far because we got kind of hung up on this idea that Jesus actually expected his, his followers to fast. He assumed they would. 
And it's just not something that we tend to practice today. It's not a regular part of, of, of most of the, the, our, our faiths. We just don't do it. And so last week, the focus was, was looking at this question of why Jesus would fast himself and why should we consider fasting? He absolutely believed that fasting was part of how people would follow him and belong to him as, as a disciple. And so uh, we, we looked at the ways that Jesus used fasting, a spiritual discipline, in spiritual warfare to turn his flesh into an ally as he faced the devil. And, and we see that in Matthew chapter 4, in the wilderness. He was tempted after fasting for 40 days. And we looked at lots of ways that fasting can help us in our life. We looked at this slide, ways that proper fasting helps us to pray powerfully and effectively, to confess and repent our sin, to humble ourselves before God, to do all these things. Remember, we talked about how, golly, there's nothing on this list as a pastor and a shepherd that I don't want for you and for me, for us as a church we looked at all these things, and hopefully you've had the chance to do some studying of what the Word says about fasting. We talked about this season of bold prayer that for 143 years, God has been faithful to this church, and we have gotten to see this church over 143 years be a light of the gospel of Jesus in northern Colorado. What a beautiful thing to get to celebrate and be a part of now, and God's not finished. We are taking new steps that God is placing as a church. And so we're entering this year and marking it as a year of bold prayer because we don't want these to be our steps. We want these to be the steps that belong to our Heavenly Father. So we're excited about that. And in that, I asked everybody last week to simply consider fasting. Consider it as a part of our faith practice. And I know this, this was frustrating to some of you. I, got, I appreciate your emails. And it was kind of hard because I didn't even define what fasting is last week. We just left it at why should we consider it. And we looked at all these reasons. We looked at the fact that Jesus expected it and that he himself practiced it. And then I asked you to consider it by taking a survey. And guys, we were blown away. I'm so grateful for all of you who, who filled out this survey. We had well over 100 people do this. It was awesome. And I, it's a privilege to get a window into your life and the walk that, that you are walking with Jesus. And so I want to share a little bit of what we learned in this survey. Um, of, you know, like I said, well over 100 people took this survey. We had more and more trickle in throughout the week. Of the people who responded, 7% of you said that, yes, fasting is a regular part of how you practice your faith. So very few, 93% said no, it's not. And, but most of us know somebody who does fast as a part of how they practice their faith. I don't know if we all know the same guy, but like, <laughs> we, most of us know somebody. And that was kind of cool to see. It's not totally off the radar for us. And I really appreciated some of the answers got to hear about what, what kinds of things keep us from seriously considering fasting. And there's some good reasons, some good things. You know, I know that there's some of us who have medical conditions that fasting from food or anything, any, anything like that is simply an impossibility. Some have jobs that really, truly, you would be at danger and the people you work with would be at danger if you were not uh, fully new, nutritioned, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you were fasting and, and at work. It'd be unsafe. 
Many of us, and man, I relate to this, this idea of like, boy, a lot of what I do, both fellowship that I choose and the kind of work that I do involves connecting with people over a meal. And it's just not the same to take somebody out for lunch and sit there and like watch them eat. And then try to sell them your product, you know, like it's just as like, like that's, like there's some good reasons. And I appreciated your candor in this. There's some, there's some funny answers too. Maybe we can talk some more about that sometime. But um, it, though most of us do not practice fasting regularly, 80% of people who responded to this survey said, um, I've tried it. So a lot of us have tried it. And of that 80% of people who have tried fasting, 72% of you said it was actually, it was a positive experience. And then there was like, like you know, another 22% that was like, ah, it was kind of maybe not so great or a mix. And then there was 6% of you that were like, ah, <laughs> it was horrible. I, I appreciate your honesty. Um, but on a scale of one to five, the last question I asked, how open are you to trying fasting for spiritual purposes? This was pretty cool. A five is like, I'm in, sign me up. I started yesterday, like, like let's do this. A one is, no way, like, please don't ever talk to me about this again. Um, and, and on that scale, there was a fully 50% of people who responded said, I'm in, I'm a five. Another 28% were like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty in. I'm a four, like I'm there and I maybe have a little reservations. And then there was 17% that were like, <laughs> I know what I should put or I feel like I should put, but I'm a three. And then 5% were like a two or a one. And so I really appreciated your candor and, and letting us in a little bit on that. And I hope that the, the process of reflecting on, on this practice, what it's either been for you or hasn't been for you, I hope it was helpful, informative. Um, and I pray that as we dive this week into some more details that, that we can, in, 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 a, in a way that glorifies God and moves the work of Jesus forward in this church and in your life and in our life, I hope that we can look at some ways that we can engage in prayer and fasting that will help us see the glory of God. So open up to Matthew chapter 6. And we read together the Lord's Prayer in there. And then we're going to look together here in, in just a few minutes at verses, especially 16 to 18. But um, as we look at the spiritual discipline of fasting, I'm, I'm going to define it for you now. Uh, this is a, an important question as we go into this scripture that Jesus teaches about fasting. So as you're turning there, I'm going to define it for us. What is the spiritual discipline of fasting? Well, fasting is simply going without food in order to intentionally seek God. That's what fasting is. There's not a particular verse that like lays out a definition. There's a couple places that teach about fasting. We're going to look at those today. And then there's lots of places that records and describes what fasting looks like, both good and bad. Um, and so this is kind of, kind of like a, a definition that if you scan all of Scripture and try to understand what is fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting, it's simply going without food in order to intentionally seek God. Now what's interesting is we use this word fasting in ways that scripture doesn't. We talk about fasting from lots of different things and in scripture only all the time, every time, it is only used in reference to going without food, which I thought was interesting. 
Sometimes drink as well, but, but throughout scripture, fasting only refers to going without food. It doesn't ever refer to any, like setting aside anything else as fasting. It reserves that word for food itself. And I've wondered why that is, and I don't know exactly, but, but I, I, as I've reflected and looked at what scripture says, there may be something to this idea that we were designed to need food, not just to like, enjoy life, but to like have it, right? <laughs> if you stop eating food completely, you will eventually perish. And it's like we're going to God saying, you have, have promised to provide the food that we need in our daily bread. You, Jesus, have called yourself the bread of life. And so maybe there's this deeper spiritual meaning behind my physical hunger and fasting and setting aside this thing that I need to keep from perishing might help me understand this thing that I need in order to live eternally, which is the bread of life, Jesus himself. So I wonder if that might be part of the reason, but we do see in Scripture something else that, um, that is, is throughout, and, and that is this, this concept of abstaining. Scripture is full of examples of abstaining from things, and so this is, this is, I think, part of how we use the term fasting when we talk about spiritual disciplines. There's fasting and abstaining. Abstaining is simply setting aside something that we desire or crave in order to intentionally seek God or to embrace his design for our life. You know, there are times and where Scripture instructs, for example, married couples to set aside sexual relations for the purpose of prayer. There are times that scripture instructs God's people to set aside spirited beverages in order to seek the Lord and make sure that, that we are filled with God's spirit and not like drunk on wine. And so there's, there's times that in order to seek God intentionally, it's wise and good to abstain from the things that might fill our hearts or our heads or you know, things that we crave or desire, but maybe are not necessary to actually live. And maybe that's like the scriptural distinction between fasting and abstaining. And we also see that there's a call for God's people to be a people that practice part of the, the fruit of his spirit, which is self-control in how we abstain from things in order to embrace God's design for our lives. Wives and husbands, those of you who are married, you know what this looks like to abstain from something in order to embrace God's design for your life. However long you've been married, if you are following God's design, you are setting aside any attraction you may feel for somebody that's not your own husband or your own wife. You are setting that aside and, and saving yourself to be chaste sexually and only present that part of you to your spouse. That's abstaining for the purpose of embracing God's design for our life. This is something that God teaches and his word affirms. And I know some of your stories. I know some of you, you know, we're called as God's people to abstain from things until they're within the context of God's design for us. And so if you're single, you're called to keep the marriage bed pure, for example. I know some of your stories. I'm privileged to know some of your stories and know that you have set aside a desire even for something like same-sex attraction in order to embrace God's design for a marriage that is between one man and one woman. You are abstaining. You, this is a spiritual practice 
that helps you embrace God's design for your life. And so this is, we see these two sort of parallel things in Scripture, fasting and abstaining, and they both produce a lot of the benefits and the fruit that we've looked at with fasting last week and again reviewed this week. And so as we move forward, I want to look at this question, all right, how can we, how should we fast or abstain as a spiritual discipline? How should we do that? What does this look like? And there's two keys that we can see. And so hopefully you got your scriptures open to Matthew chapter six. Jesus unpacks one of these keys and it's, it applies not just to fasting, but he actually opens chapter six. If you look at verse one, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness. This is like your spiritual disciplines before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father in heaven. And so we see here for not just fasting, but these other spiritual disciplines that we, we have this key that we need to identify and eliminate our mixed motives that may be driving our spiritual disciplines. Jesus gives the same instructions for fasting as he does for, for prayer in general, as he does for benevolence giving, which is giving financially to help those who are in need, who are, who are poor, Jesus says we need to, to identify and eliminate these mixed motives. Look at what he says here, verses 16 to 18. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. You know that look, like, oh, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm normally eating breakfast by now. And oh man, fasting so like you know, like that, like they look gloomy. It's like they want people to see them fasting. And Jesus says, you gotta identify this mixed motive. This is a thing, this is a problem. This was common in their time. And then eliminate it. How do you eliminate it? Well, they've received their reward because their fasting's been seen by others. Jesus says, eliminate it by doing this. When you fast, anoint your head. Wash your face. Freshen up a little bit. He doesn't say to smile, but you could smile. So that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He identifies the mixed motives they may have in practicing their spiritual disciplines, that the desire to be seen by others and have their spiritual pride inflated and to be seen as disciplined and mature, and then he gives them instructions to eliminate those motives. It's like he's saying, hey, go practice these disciplines in secret where the only possible payoff you could receive would come from your heavenly Father. That's how to eliminate your mixed motives. This is really important. Um, what do you think our mixed motives are when it comes to spiritual disciplines today? I think we probably can identify with this one that Jesus sees in his people at the time. This idea of spiritual pride. I think we, we share that mixed motive. We want people to see us, to regard us with great respect if, if you've been in the church for a long time. You know, as, as a human man who, who has the privilege of serving in vocational ministry, like, I get that. <laughs> I get that a lot. I think we share that. But there's maybe a new mixed motive that I don't see in Scripture, but it's probably true for us. 
And, and, and I saw this too, you know, we didn't identify this as mixed motive in the, the, the survey for last week, but we asked just a general question, you know, what was the purpose of your fast? And the reality is there's lots of good reasons to fast that are not spiritual disciplines right now right? I mean, there's some, there's all kinds of literature out there that, that says that fasting can be good for your health. Who doesn't want good health? Certainly God wants that for us too. It's not necessarily a spiritual discipline, but I think we maybe struggle with a different mixed motive than the people in Jesus' time did, and that is that we love the idea of feeling better and, you know, having more energy and maybe shedding a few pounds and like sort of like the, some of the cosmetic or, or health benefits to fasting. And I'm not talking about medical need here. I'm not talking about like, like I know there are, are many with a very limited diet because of medical need. I'm talking about people just looking to benefit their, their general health or appearance. And I just want to encourage you, friends, if you're tempted to engage in fasting for those reasons, that may be good, but maybe do that separately from a spiritual discipline of fasting. If you get through the end of a fast and you've been trying to have this mixed motive of like, oh, I hope I drop a few pounds and I hope I look better and feel better, but also um, I hope that it helps me spiritually be humbled before the Lord, um, you probably will be disappointed at the end. So I wanna encourage you, set that aside. Um, we also see another mixed motive, I think, in our time today, and Jesus doesn't identify it here, but it actually goes back further. The prophet Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 58, and that is a desire to somehow manipulate God's answers to our prayers. And if you, if you flip to Isaiah 58, I want to invite you to turn there. That's, this leads us into our second key for how should we fast or abstain as a spiritual discipline. The second key is we need to embrace humility and conviction. We need to embrace humility and conviction. And we see that in one of the other places. There's not a lot, but one of the other places that God's word teaches directly on the practice of fasting. And that's in Isaiah chapter 58. 1 to 12, and then, and then he gets into the last couple of verses of that chapter, gets into um, uh, teaching on the Sabbath. But if we look at this, Isaiah 58, we see a people who wanted to try somehow to manipulate God's answers to their prayers. And if we, if we pick up here in Isaiah 58, verse 3, the first part of verse 3, they're not happy because they've done the thing, right? They've fasted. Look at verse three, the beginning. It says, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? The people are like, hey, I put a dollar in the vending machine and nothing came out. What's going on? <laughs> the people fasted and God didn't answer their prayers the way they wanted to be answered. Look at the second half of verse three. In verse four, we see God's answer. God says this, his reply is, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. So we see here in verses three and four, when the people fasted, they were seeking their own pleasure. Another, another way you could look at that word is, is it's also translated as their own business. They were about their own work that day, their own pleasure, their own business. That is what the people were about, not the pleasure and business of God. They, they embraced sin, 
raising a wicked fist in anger. They embrace pride. They embrace you know, kind of doing their own thing. And that manifested itself with this ugliness. They sought their own pleasure. They oppressed their workers. They, they, you know, they took out whatever anger, they, the hanger they had on the people working for them. I mean, you know, they, they were only focused on themselves and they missed what God was trying to do in them. They embraced sin, pride, and selfishness. But the reality is, if you keep reading to verse five, look at how God describes what fasting should do, what it means. Verse five, is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? This is a rhetorical question. Yes, (laughs) that's the kind of fast God chooses. It's a day to humble yourself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? I think God's saying, hey, you need to embrace humility if you're gonna fast and expect me to listen to your prayers. Proper fasting embraces humility and conviction. The sackcloth and the ashes in in God's response that he describes, these are pictures of repentance of sin. This is a picture of God's spirit bringing conviction of sin to them and them repenting. That's what it means to spread sackcloth and ashes out. And so we see here that the second key of of fasting or abstaining is is it should be all about embracing humility and conviction before the Lord. And to do that, you have to reject pride. You can't embrace humility without, without like waging war on your pride. You have to reject pride and you have to reject shame. Shame is the enemy's twisting of conviction. God doesn't deal in shame. He convicts our hearts about what is wrong, and then he gives us a way out. The enemy in shame tries to say, you can never change. You'll never be better than this. You don't deserve God hearing your prayers. That's the voice of shame. We have to reject that along with pride if we're going to embrace humility and conviction. So if we are, as a people, going to step into a season of fasting and prayer, Expect it to be humbling. (laughs) Expect it to be a season that God uses to conform us to his purposes. Look at verses six and seven. God says, is not this the fast that I choose? Now notice he doesn't say, hey, instead of fasting, practice these things. He's saying, no, I choose the kind of fast that produces the character that is in alignment with who I am. And who, who, who my character is deep down. He says, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Verse seven, he says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? He's saying the kind of fast that embraces humility and conviction is the kind of fast that conforms you to God's character and purposes in this earth. Sounds a lot like saying, our Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
we see, we see that fasting should bring about this kind of humility and conviction. And speaking through the prophet Isaiah, God doesn't leave the people wallowing in shame for how they messed up in their fast that was not a good fast and that embraced pride and shame instead of humility and conviction. No, he goes on, and I would encourage you, read through verse 12, it's beautiful. We see this picture of God inviting his people into his work, into good things that glorify him on this planet. He invites them into that and says, if you will do the kind of fasting that conforms yourself to my character and my business and my purposes, then I will do this thing through you and your fasting will help you do all of these things. This is where we get a bunch of stuff from our list last week. It's beautiful. It's such a beautiful picture. It's tempting today as we consider a spiritual practice such as fasting I think to either let it build up in us a kind of pride of like, hey, Americans don't fast, and Christians in America don't fast, but look at me. I'm one of the few. We can let it build up pride, or we can let it like beat us down into shame because, guys, it's a hard thing to do. And you probably won't do it perfectly if you choose to engage in this. And, 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 and it might feel a little bit hopeless when you struggle when, when you engage in this. And so uh, we just need to remember as we consider what it looks like for us to fast, we've got to embrace humility and conviction before the Lord. So what would it look like for us as God's people? LifePoint Church today to practice a kind of fasting or abstaining as a spiritual discipline that, that would help enliven our prayers and bring boldness to the way that we pray to God for our neighbors and our neighborhood and the nations. What would it look like for us to practice this? I want to invite you. Take a step towards the waterfall. Don't take that step today. I want to ask you to consider a step. And right now, would the ushers come hand out these prayer guides? Again, thank, we had a great team that put these together. Thank you guys for putting these together. There's, there's some ways that you can engage in this season of prayer. And one of those is this prayer guide itself. Like Zach said, we want to get all of us in the word of God, thinking about it, writing about it, considering it, looking at how it applies to our lives, and then praying about it. We've been learning about prayer. Let's do it. Let's pray together. This prayer guide will get you in the word and in prayer every day. You could do this for five minutes, or this could be a launching point for a long time of prayer in your day. I don't know what, it, what God will do for you, but, but this prayer guide can help you, can give you a framework. Tucked into this prayer guide is this handout. On one side of this, it says, Next Steps Prayer Focus. We want this season of prayer, the next 40 days, to help us as a church be aligned with the steps that God is inviting us and calling us to take, the steps he's placing in our midst. So I want to invite you to join this season of prayer. There's, there's some specific ways that we can be praying together corporately as LifePoint Church here and now. And these are ways we can be praying for the nations. We've got people in our midst who are preparing and seeking God's guidance on going to the nations as missionaries. We want to pray for them. And there's one in particular you can lift up here, Davida. We're so excited about what God is doing in, in, in her calling. And we've got others that are, that are preparing and seeking the Lord's guidance in their calling. Be praying for them. We've got prayer requests for the neighborhood of the church here. 
We have a, a team that is planning how can we turn our property into something that is received as a valuable gift by our neighbors so that they might be ready to receive the valuable gift of the gospel because of our presence in this neighborhood. We want guidance, prayers for guidance for that planning. We want prayers for wisdom to consider what it looks like for us to feed the hungry. Like Isaiah 58 says, we've got opportunities that we're considering for how we as a church can be involved in loving and serving the poor neighbors that we have in our community that, that belong with us to God. We want the opportunity to do gospel work here. We also have an opportunity here to be praying for your individual neighbors at work, at home, at school. And then also we are looking, we're praying about and fasting about God eliminating our building debt. That is all here. We're gonna pray about this stuff this Wednesday at our prayer gathering. And then on the other side, of this is another opportunity. I want to invite you to consider joining us by choosing during this time of prayer, choosing a fast or a way you can abstain from something or both that can help you take a step towards that waterfall. And I know some of your stories, it may not make sense for some of you to, to engage in a food fast in this time. And, and I, want, I just want to remind us that as we consider this, we, we are embracing humility and conviction. And that means rejecting pride and shame. And so take a step. Pray, pray to the Lord and ask him to help you determine a great step for you. And that may mean simply finding something to abstain from that will free time and space in your day and in your head and your heart so that you can go to God in prayer. Maybe there's a step that you could take that, that is, is abstaining and maybe there's a step you could take in fasting. I want to encourage you, don't, don't be afraid of taking a small step simply because there are larger steps out there that you're not ready for or that don't make sense for you. I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider what this might look like. Maybe for, for you or for me, it means we need to consider that instead of every time our, our stomach feels hungry, finding a snack, maybe it just means that, hey, I'm going to fast from every snack between my meals. And every time I feel hungry, I'm going to offer a whisper prayer to the Lord and, and remember that I need, to, I need to trust in him and rely upon him. So I, I want to invite you to consider in prayer what it looks like to take a step and, and take a step that will help you in, in humility and conviction seek the Lord Take a step that allows you to eliminate any mixed motives you have. Let's take a step together. It doesn't have to be a huge step, but let's all take a step. Let's join together and seek the Lord in a way that glorifies him and in a way that, that draws us closer to his work and his love and his power and his grace. And I just want to tell you too, part of embracing humility in this process means that when you give in because you just, you just can't do it and you're like, all right, I, I got to watch that Netflix show. I just, I can't. And, and you, you mess up. I, want, I just want to tell you, reject the shame of that moment. And, and embrace the humility in that moment that, that even in our fast when we feel like we've failed, let that be a moment to just leave you humbly before the Lord saying, God, 
I need your help in this. <laughs> you know, this should be something that leaves us humble before God, needing his work and his power in our lives. It'll challenge you, but it'll help you grow in faith and trust and reliance upon him. So consider that. And this card, you can, you can fill out. We'd love the opportunity to know and to pray for this church as we engage in this season together. So you can fill out this card and, and return this at the night of prayer or next Sunday. I want you to take some time to consider it. Don't fill it out today and return it today. Or you can scan this and you can fill it out online like we did last week. But when you have prayerfully considered how you want to engage in this, let us know. And then we can, in that way together, honor what Jesus has, has instructed about how to fast in a way that gives glory to God and that we can be united as we seek him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we trust you. We rely on you. We need you. And I pray right now that you would, I pray you would draw us by your love to take a step towards you. Lord, I pray right now I, and confess I have, I have some fear about even preaching this message that is challenging to me <laughs> and I know is, is challenging to, to your, your people here. Lord, I pray, that, I pray that we would be drawn by your love and grace to take a step towards you a step that, that, that we see Jesus has modeled. I pray that you would, you would draw us by your love and grace, that we would be a people who seek you boldly. We trust you, Father. We trust you with where you are leading us, and we trust, Father, that as we step into the work of your goodness and grace and the power of the gospel in this community, that we will get to see you do something mighty. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.